Welcome to the message podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe for updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn. Make sure you join us each Sunday at 9 a.m. on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m. We have a campus near Harrisonburg at 1871 Boyers Road and a new campus in East Rockingham at 414 Southeast Side Highway in Elkton. In addition, at our Harrisonburg campus, we have a Spanish campus that meets on Sundays at 11.45 a.m. Check out our website, cotnaz.org, for more information. We just want to pause this morning and say Happy Father's Day. Uh, to the fathers in the room, we say uh, congratulations, you made it. We th- say thank you and Happy Father's Day. Uh, I learned this week, and I- I'm pretty new at this father thing, but it does come with some heartaches, doesn't it? I was walking Eliza into daycare, and like this is dad of the year stuff right here. Uh, but we were walking up to the daycare, and I, she was holding on to my finger, which is a cute picture, but it doesn't offer real support. And I'm sure there's a sermon there, but we did a face plant right before we went into the daycare. So, yeah. Being a father can come with ups and downs, um, but God is good, and, and we have in that picture in Scripture that God is our good, good father, and so today uh, we just say happy Father's Day as we celebrate dads. And so uh, this morning we're going to continue in our series, um, but as I've been preparing and reflecting this week, I, I've been trying to understand what our culture's fascination is with zombies and things of that sort. Like, you didn't think you were going to come and hear about zombies today, and I didn't think we were going to talk about it, but what is our fascination with this idea of the walking dead? That's a popular TV show, right? Like, if you Google that and you look at it, there's really that show called The Walking Dead has been going for something like 10 years, and it's one of the most popular in history. What is our fascination with The Walking Dead? Can you believe that there's a list of 30 essential zombie movies? Like, is there such a thing in an essential zombie movie? Like, I learned a lot this week. So as we lean into that, I see some of you shaking your head. I don't get it, but that's cool. Uh, what is our fascination with this idea of the post-dead or the walking dead? And I propose today that it might be because that's what all of us are at one point or another. At least that's what Scripture says. That's what Scripture tells us we are. So... Welcome back to our series, What Now? So we're going to take several weeks this summer to really dive into and discern together our purpose as a church. We've been together for a while now. The planting and the settling is over. We still have a ways to go, but we're a church. We're together. We're worshiping in Jesus' name. We're a church. And so along the way on this journey through the summer, we're going to dive into the book of Ephesians to glean a couple key elements, the must-haves, if you will, of what it means to be a church. And today we're going to be in chapter 2, beginning in verse 1 of Ephesians. Last week in our introduction, we kind of unpacked what Scripture tells us God's intent was for the church. We read there that it was God's intent that the manifold wisdom, His beauty, His wisdom would be shown to the world through His church, God has a plan and a purpose for his body of believers. Even our testimony of being here today, of of being a church that was launched and birthed in a pandemic, God's story, God's plan is still in effect. That's good news today, friends, that we can live for more. We don't have to take the world's offering, but that God's plan is in effect and it's moving forward. 
And so we know that through the scriptures and the historical events that God has something to say, that he's still doing miracles. We're still in the game. So it begs the question, what now? What now? Today, we're going to jump into the one key idea that makes us the church. What's the one element, the one thing that makes us the church and not just another civic organization or another organization meeting needs? What's the one thing we can't live without? Kind of that idea of what's that key ingredient? Like you might have a pie, but without peanut butter, you're not going to have peanut butter pie. Yes, I have a thing for peanut butter pie, and would you believe God's miracles? One showed up after second service last week. How about that? So we see this idea of a one key element, and you can think about even the human body that we can do without arms or limbs. And I have a picture today of a guy that I'd like to call a friend because we've gotten to meet. This is Clay Dyer. Clay Dyer is a man who was born with no legs and with only half of one arm, but you would be amazed at what God has accomplished through Clay's life. He has come to our church campus there in Harrisonburg and spoken, and he's a great man of God, testifying to God's goodness and his grace and his mercy. And if you've never seen Clay Dyer in action, you should YouTube him and watch how he just navigates life. His truck is amazing because he, as an adult, drives and tows his boat and drives to different speaking engagements. It's quite amazing. And then to watch him go fishing and to cast a rod and reel and to navigate is truly spectacular. But, you know, even Clay can't live without the center of it all. And that's the heart. The heart of it all today, friends, is what we're going to dive into as the church. So what we're talking about in our context, the one non-negotiable, the heart of it all, is none other than Christ Jesus himself. Without Christ, we might well be the United Way or the Food Pantry or the Lions Club. We might have the best songs, the best band. We might have the best programs. But without Jesus, we're not the church. Without Jesus, we have nothing to offer. And it stands that if without Jesus, you and I have nothing to offer. So today, we're going to look at what it means to live Jesus-centered lives, Jesus-focused lives. So in short, what now? We live Jesus-focused. So as we jump in today, if you were to look through the New Testament copy of Scripture and you were to look for the word for the church, you're going to see it used in many different contexts. And much of the New Testament is written in the Greek language. It's very complex. It's intricate. uh, And there's a great study there in understanding some of those words and their meanings. And the word for church in the New Testament is no different here. That word is ecclesia, and it's fascinating, but as you look into that word, it's used for small body of believers, like we might understand gathering here today, and it's also used for the understanding of believers anywhere in the world, the word church, ecclesia. As you study it, as you put it under the microscope, if you will, it's really a compound word made up of two parts that means the called out ones. So the church in the eyes of the New Testament, are the called out ones. So if I were to come up to Mr. Baker and call him from his seat, that would be the idea of calling out. We've been called forth to something else, something beyond. And so we find in this very definition the reality that to be called the church, we must be called out. We must be found in Christ Jesus. And within this truth, as, as simple as it may be, it consists with this reality that we who are called out 
who are in Christ, there's already an implication here that there's a before, isn't there? Because if we didn't need to be called, we would be in Christ. So within this truth, this idea of who the church is and who the scripture says the church is, there's this idea of a separation. That naturally we're apart from God and we need to be called forth. And so this morning, even looking at the definition, the the understanding of what church is, it presents us with the reality of sin. It presents us with the reality that we are separated from God. That we need to be called out to be brought into relationship with him. This truth points to the importance, to the reason that before anything else, we must be Jesus-focused. Let's turn in our text today to Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He says, as for you, doesn't that sound like your school teacher, like going, now, as for you, young man, I've got something to tell you. But, but he says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord Jesus, as we jump into your word, help us to see, help us to hear your call this morning, Lord Jesus, to be found in Christ. God, we bow before you this morning. We bow before who you are and your word. And we say, come, in your name we pray. Amen. So in this short little passage, in this introduction, if you will, Paul introduces us to the walking dead. Paul introduces us as the walking dead. What might sound like a popular TV show or a a cool t-shirt is really the condition of anyone apart from Christ Jesus who has not been called out to new life in Christ. One commentator writes, if, if Christ's resurrection introduced the age to come ahead of time, then one's state prior to participation in that resurrection life must comparatively be speaking as death. So if you are not in Christ, if we're viewing Christ's resurrection as new life prior to our participation in that, we're saying, yes, we're participating in the walking dead, in living death. What separates us from Christ is this reality of our spiritual death. Jesus talked about this much in his ministry. In John chapter 5 verse 24, he says this, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. You see there's that definitive action of crossing over from death to life. As Paul had introduced us, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And as you unpack that meaning there, transgressions and sins are both the cause and the manifestation or display of the death that's within us. It's because we have sinned that we are dead, and it's because we are dead that we continue to sin. You see that relationship there. Trespass or transgression gives this idea of being off the path or to slip or to fall. 
And the word sins there is an idea of missing the target. If you would think of an archer drawing the bow to hit bullseye and missing the target, that's the idea of sins, is that missing the target. The reality of being spiritually dead comes with it with some of these same implications that you might find if we were evaluating being physically dead or physically deceased. When we are spiritually dead, our senses are not quickened to the things of the Spirit. We do not discern right from wrong as we should. We're not growing or reproducing in things of the Spirit. We're not responding to the things of God. And we're not responding correctly to the things of the world. We are both deaf and dead to God in a state of the walking dead. Paul goes on, he says, you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom. So you have this idea of ways of this world and there's also a ruler of these ways, a ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. When we begin to worship things that are not God, we begin to give them authority. So in our spiritual death, when we're turning to things that are not God, when we're worshiping careers or money or even relationships, when we start investing our worship and we live for those things, we begin to transfer to them authority. We begin to give those things power over us. If you want a black and white definition of that, you could think of addiction. As we give a substance of alcohol or substance of drugs, we give those things our authority. They begin to have power and manipulation over us. We give away the authority that was originally designed to be given to God and worshipped. So it's in the realm of the walking dead that we are influenced by our own desires and we're spurred on by the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Friends, that's a reference to Satan and his influence in the world. You might think of this idea of the course of the world like floating down the river. I mean, it's river season, right? The water's warm, the fishing's good. If you were to go down here to the Elkton boat landing and you were to put on in an inner tube and you were to float to Shenandoah, the current of the river is going to pull you on. It's going to gently bring you forward. Gravity is pulling that water downhill towards Shenandoah and you're going to go leisurely along. And in an inner tube, you don't have much influence, right? You're kind of just subject to whatever the current is. There's going to be fast paces. There's going to be slow places. But you're subject to the current. In our lives, we're subject to the current and the course of the world influencing us as we go along. The latest desire, the latest trend always vies for our attention. It pulls us away. It's pushing us in the world's direction. Just as the direction of the river is flowing to Shenandoah, so the influence in the course of the world is pushing you in its specified direction, and it is always in opposition of Christ Jesus. We can float along in the currents of the world, listening to those desires of, you want to be happy, pursue happiness at all costs. You want more, you want bigger, you want better, pursue it at all costs. Whatever it takes, pursue it. We're on that current of the world. We're totally unaware in that state as we're leisurely going along as our desires are our master. We're unaware of the consequence before because there's a dam in Shenandoah that you're going to go over if you don't stop. And we are unaware of the consequences as we go along the course of the world of what's ahead. Paul adds that 
It's that our tendency to sin that we are deserving of God's anger and judgment. It's a clear fact of God's holiness that sin will be judged. This is not an arbitrary punishment. It's an acquired result of a life lived in disobedience. And that's where we all start. The walking dead. Every one of us, every one of us is in the category of the walking dead at one point in our lives or another. We live lifeless, hopeless, senseless to the things and the leadings of God Almighty. So what now? What now? As the walking dead, what now? We sit hopeless and helpless, confused, broken, maybe in pain or in lostness. It would be tragic if this was the end of the story, wouldn't it? If it was the end of our story together, it would be tragic. But it's not the end of the story today, friends. It's not the last word. As we pick back up in our text, we read, But because of His great love, this is verse 4, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Some translations say there, but God. So you step out of the realm of the walking dead by the words, but God moved. And that transition there in the original language is two letters. It's D-E. Those two letters form a bridge to hope for us today, friends. Because when we were lost and we were dead in our transgressions and flowing in the realm of the world, we had no idea, but God moved. But God didn't leave us there broken and under the guilt and weight of shame to be pushed in a corner by the enemy. But God, the story's not over today, friends. God didn't leave us in the realm of the walking dead. He came that we might find life. His grace are like the pads of a defibrillator shocking us back to life. Breathing energy into us. His spiritual life. It's provenient grace that calls us out of the realm of the dead. He's moving in advance of our response. Because you remember, we're senseless. We're hopeless. We can't discern the things of God. It takes a move on his part to even awaken our consciences. That's grace. That's grace. The action of God's grace and mercy and his great love is to make us alive with Christ Jesus. To be awakened from our spiritual death. To have new life in Christ. Our senses are quickened to the things of the Spirit. Our discernment of right and wrong is quickened because we now have the author and perfecter of truth living within us in the life of Christ Jesus. We grow in Christ's likeness even when we were dead. We have been called forth into new life. Paul interrupts his flow of thought here. We were trucking right along on this idea of new life and he interrupts that thought to go hey no it's by grace you have been saved it's by grace grace here is unmerited favor if you remember and if you have a mental image of the walking dead like tattered clothes and pale complexion dragging along we were in that state when God's grace grabbed a hold of us when he quickened our ears to hear the things of his spirit God's grace 
It's unmerited favor. It's what Paul calls us forth. Picking back up in verse 6. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. As believers in Christ, through his death and resurrection is our avenue to new life. It's through him that we can find forgiveness. It's through him that our spiritual sense is quickened. It's by grace that we are saved. The powers that used to enslave us, the current of the world that was subtly pushing us along, leaving us unaware, has been broken by Christ's victory over the grave and at Calvary. Those powers no longer have the final say in our lives. We can give them power, but that's our decision because they are defeated. They are defeated in Christ Jesus. And so those powers are broken. When that new life comes and births in us, that Jesus comes and births his life in us. Those powers no longer have the victory because we're in Christ Jesus. We get to share and walk and journey and love in that victory now, and we have the hope of the future victory in Christ where there will be no more pain, where there will be no more brokenness. We know that God's final victory is a new heaven and a new earth, and we have the hope and strength for today and for tomorrow. Picking back up in Verse 8 and 9 of our text, he says, again, for it is by grace you have been saved. He's starting to get that he wants us to understand that it's by grace. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. As if we didn't catch it the first time, right? This is not of yourselves. It's grace. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Again and again, we're shown in this passage that new life in Christ is not something we can earn by works. We sometimes get that confused, don't we? Innocently enough, right? We set out and think, man, if, if I can just be a good person, if I can just not yell at my kids as much, if I could just be kinder to my wife, or if I can find some way to love my boss at work or that coworker that drives me crazy, then, 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 then I'll be good enough. Then that's my ticket. That's not this. Grace means in its implication we can't earn it. We can't drum it up. We can't buy it. We can't earn our way through good works and good deeds. We can't do it. We'll never be able to clean up our heart. But we find ourselves innocently enough to try to take Jesus and. I'm going to do these good things. I'm going to try to be a good person. And I'm going to, I'm going to believe in Jesus. And then that, those, that combination of things is going to be my salvation. That's not this. It's all on Christ Jesus. There's going to be things that need to change because we're not dead anymore. We're not going to do dead things, right? Repentance is real. We are called to turn in Christ and turn towards that new life. We're leaving the dead things behind. But it's because we're saved that we're leaving those things behind. We're not leaving those behind to be saved, you see. It's all on Christ Jesus. It's all on His grace calling us out of the grave. We have to receive it. It's a gift. 
It's a gift. It can be hard for us to understand love like that because we can't, we can't love like that in our own strength. It's God's love. Remember, he's rich in mercy. His love is great. It's that love. Our call is to trust him. Our call is to place our faith in him, in his grace, to respond to his leading. So what now? What now? What does it mean to live Jesus-focused? At the risk of sounding too simplistic, I would say it means to live. To live. To be spiritually awakened by the God of the universe who loves you. To come out from under the influence of that shame or that guilt. To stand up out of the current of the river and say, no more. I'm not going to go the current of the river. I'm going to go the current of the plan of God's eternal redemption. There's a way that we can live our everyday, ordinary, going to work, going to school, cooking dinner, caring for the kids, caring for our parents. Everything is sanctified in Christ Jesus that we can live for his glory. We turn from the current of the world and get on his redemption narrative. That's the life we can live. Every aspect of your lives is consecrated to Christ Jesus. It means to truly live. Our motivations are purified. Our intentions are purified. Our desires are no longer our master. It means to live. Every one of us, from the author of this text some 2,000 years ago to every one of us sitting here today, have a need to be brought out from the realm of the dead into new eternal life in Christ Jesus. The reality of the walking dead is something that none of us can escape. We might deny its effects. We might even deny its reality. But that's our denial. Because the reality stands in Scripture that we, apart from Christ Jesus, are the walking dead. We need His grace to awaken us from the grave. To break those chains. The final verses of this chapter pull together the idea of the consequence of God's great love. So we can have the consequence of living in the, the power of the world and under its influence, that waterfall, that acquiring of God's judgment and ultimately his wrath. Or we can have a consequence of new life in Christ. And verse 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. You've been called out. You're the church. In Christ, you're fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Talk about a community to belong to, friends. The household and family of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you too are being built together to become the dwelling place for which God lives by his spirit. As members of God's family, as members of his household, there's no more barriers to separate us. There's only in and out. There's no barriers with inside the church because we have all been called to new life. That's our identity. That's who we are as the church. That's the heart of it all. 
is to be found in Christ Jesus. And this temple language here, you have to think, put your Old Testament hat on for just a second. The temple was where God's presence resided. And in the Old Testament, you could only one special person, you know, certain times of the year could enter into God's presence. But Paul's saying here that no, in Christ Jesus, we together are the dwelling place of the Most High God. The God that has created the universe that we understand and the five more we can't even see, that expansive God wants to dwell in our midst. When we are in Christ Jesus. That's good stuff. Praise Jesus. Talking about being a part of a bigger story. I mean, we can have great plans, great careers, and all those things, but when you think about the God of the universe wanting to indwell us as we come together, that's a good story to give your life to. That's a good story. We're called together to be a dwelling place of God's presence. Anytime we gather together, anytime we go out to serve, a shameless plug, best week ever, vacation Bible school, serving at the food pantry, the car show, any of those things that we go do, we are going as hosts of the presence of the living God. That's our call as the family of God. That's our call in coming together in Christ Jesus. So as a church, as a local expression, as the East Rock Campus, this is our call. It's Christ Jesus at the heart of it all. We must live Jesus-focused. Being Jesus-focused is our story together. We are the church. It's our mission. It's our message. It's what propels us forward. We must live Jesus-focused. That's the church. What now? Live Jesus-focused. What about you? As the big band makes their way up, what about you? I want to close today by extending an invitation. Because to talk about the realm of the walking dead and to talk about and understand in Scripture, even in brief, the reality of new life and not open an invitation to receive it would be tragic. Because no matter where you are today, no matter how much you might resonate with the walking dead, the story's not over. The story is not over. That current of the world that's pulling you along that feels like you can't get out of it, there's a lifeboat coming and his name is Christ Jesus. What about you today? What about you today? Is the walking dead for you? See, death really brings around a lot of its cousins and its relatives and we understand that some of those cousins look like pain. Brokenness deep within us. They look like lostness, like no sense of hope, no joy. All those things are cousins of death. Maybe today you're happily floating on the currents of the world. Yeah, that happens. That happens. We can float along pretty good, doing our own thing. You and your buddies, right? We get to do all the things we enjoy. We go and live by our own moral code. We're following whatever we want to do. We've got it all, right? You might make it your whole life before you ever hear the waterfall in the distance, but it's there. It's there. And friends, that's part of my story. See, sin was wrecking me, but it manifested in itself in me pursuing my own desires and my own wants. That's all I cared about. 
Now, sin can manifest itself in so many different ways and through each individual person. I mean, it can look like addiction. It can look like abuse. It can look like so many things, but sometimes it looks like a good time, doesn't it? That was my story. But the reality of the walking dead is that we're under that influence. We might feel like we're in control. It might look like we're in control, but the reality is we're on an inner tube going places we can't control. Do you want to receive life today? Do you want to receive life today? You know, I, I believe the lie that this new life idea was all about things I couldn't do. Because I liked my dead stuff, right? I was having a good time. All I could see, the enemy blinded me because all I could see was what I couldn't do anymore. Friends, that was a lie. Because the invitation to life in Christ Jesus is to live for his story. There's going to be some things that change because we're not dead anymore. But the invitation is to life. It's to live for his eternal purpose. Because the work we accomplish, the things we do, the worship now will go on for eternity in his kingdom. I'm going to ask that every head would bow and every eye would be shut and that we would just pause today for a moment of reflection. The invitation today is to receive the life of Christ Jesus. You remember, if we're in death, we don't perceive the things of God. We don't hear his call. So if you hear his call today, that's grace moving on your behalf. That's the God of the universe pleading with you, shocking you up from the dead, saying, come home. Step out of the realm of the walking dead and into new life in my son, Jesus Christ. Friend, if that's you today, you can receive his life. If you pray and you are sincere before God and you're seeking forgiveness because you identify, Lord, I'm dead. I'm a dead man. I'm a dead woman in my transgressions and sin. If you ask for his forgiveness, he will forgive you. You ask him if he will come and move into your heart, purifying you and taking up residence, he will birth his life in you. And you are brought into the family of God in that moment. It's not to be earned later, it's now. If that's you today, don't let this opportunity slip. You're here for a purpose. God's pulling on your heart. Will you wake out of the dead and come to new life in Christ? Lord, today, we need you. God, as, as we have been found the living dead, dependent on your grace to wake us up. God, we come before you and say, Lord, I'm a dead man transgressions and sin. I sin because I'm dead and I'm dead because I'm sin. And Lord, that spiral and requires something, someone requires you to pull us out. And so Lord, we come out today in response to your grace. Say, Lord, please forgive me. And if you have never invited the Lord into your life, maybe you've done that and you can look back, but you know you've slipped back into the realm of the dead. I want you this morning to pray 
and ask the Lord Jesus to come and fill your heart, to bring you into the realm of the living. If that's you today, will you just look up here at me? Maybe throw a hand up. It's not so I can call you out, it's so I can pray for you. The invitation is to life. There's going to be things that change, and it's going to change for the good. Because we serve a good, good Father. So today, if that's you, welcome to the family. It's now that you're alive. Go forth and live in Christ's new life by the power of his Holy Spirit because he doesn't just set us in new life and say best of luck to you. No, he fills us with his indwelling spirit and says, I am yours and you are mine. And so, Lord, today we bow before you as, yes, the Lord of all creation in the universe, but, Lord, we bow before you today as Lord and Savior. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at cotnaz.org for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.